Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask the Regulator. I'm Gemma and our focus today is on National Safeguarding Week, which takes place between the 15th and the 21st of November this year. This campaign involves organisations working together to raise awareness of important safeguarding issues and to let us know what we can all do to help tackle these concerns. But what actually is safeguarding? Well, to tell us all about it, I'm joined by my colleague Steve Bumford today. Steve is from our major investigations and safeguarding team within Shared Regulatory Services. So he is the perfect person to help us understand the important role we all play in safeguarding people within our communities. Welcome to Ask the Regulator, Steve. It's lovely to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. So what is safeguarding and how do officers like yourself within trading standards teams help to safeguard our communities? Well, in a nutshell, our aim is to prevent and, where possible and necessary, investigate the financial abuse of vulnerable people. Um, This can lead to prosecutions on our part, but um, we look to identify people who are possibly uh, open to, um, to to financial abuse and we look to try and assist them, uh, try and prevent any further abuse um, and then of course if that happens and you know it's, it's always a good good goal really at the end of the day but financial abuse for want of a better term it's a scam or a fraud both are the same thing um, so vulnerable people or people who may be in a vulnerable position at a particular time, um, they're the unfortunate demographic um, and they're likely to become a victim of a scam unfortunately so worse still they may be repeat victims so they're more likely to believe in the first instance that what they're told is real or true and they may be caught in they might think well this opportunity I haven't had the money or whatever they've been told that they're going to receive um, and they may be the next opportunity so very much like for example if you do the same lottery numbers every week and you forget to do them one week then you've got that thing in the back of your mind, what, what's going to happen? What will happen if those numbers come up? So it's the same type of thing. Once the scammer has got the victim hooked, it could be that, what if I don't respond? What if I don't do this? And so it's the fear of not responding. Mm, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of people can relate to that example that you've given us there, Steve. Um, you mentioned scams. Let's talk about those in a little more detail, if we may. There are some unbelievable scams, aren't there? It's been recently reported that a man from Luton had quite a scare when he returned home from a holiday in North Wales to find other people in his house and all the fittings and furnishings removed and even parts of his house torn down even. It appears that his identity had been stolen and had been used to sell his house to another party and there's now an ongoing investigation into this. So it's important for us all to stay informed about these issues Scams can be quite sophisticated and could happen to any of us at any time, couldn't they? So what are the current scams that we should be looking out for? Well, there's a whole host of different scams, unfortunately. Um, There's romance scams. Um, There's scams where they claim to be from Amazon um, or your bank. Um, The NHS COVID testing scams as well. Um, and the usual lottery and inheritance scams. There's parcel delivery scams. I literally had a text this morning basically saying there's a parcel awaiting my collection, but I had to pay a fee or something along those lines, and I had to click on the link. Um, They're the most prominent ones. 
uh, but it's true to say there's a scam for virtually anything. There's cryptocurrency investment scams. Now, of course, cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin, has been in the news because a lot of people made a lot of money. But they're the people who, of course, they know what, how to make that type of money. And then, and then what happens is they conv- the scammer convinces people, well, these people have made a lot of money. It's... Uh, you know, easy investment, and unfortunately, people have lost large sums of money. But the example that you mentioned, it's quite unusual for someone to be scammed out of their house. So, um, and again, in the news, only yesterday we have reports where a scammer is posing as a police officer. We've had we've had that scam before. So they claim that your money is in danger, or that they've been in touch with your bank, or yet your card has been used fraudulently. Um, and so on, um, and they try and get you to to move your money physically, and that a, a, a policeman will be round to collect that money from you and keep it safe, or they take your bank details, your identity. So you mention taking of money, and is also, of course, the taking of our identity. So if we give personal details, they've got those, they've got your money. And then, of course, if they've got all your money and they've got your identity, they can use your identity then to get more money from elsewhere. So lots of things to think about there, Steve. Absolutely, absolutely. There's too much going on, unfortunately. (laughs) Yes, and I'd also like to um, go back and ask you a little more about the romance scams that you mentioned. So according to UK Finance, there was a 20% increase in bank transfer fraud in 2020, and Action Fraud have reported losses of over £68 million in the same year, linked again to romance fraud. So what is your advice on how to identify these types of scams? And what can we do if we think someone we know, or indeed that we, are involved in such a situation? It's a good question because romance scams in themselves, it's a different type of scam because, of course, the people who are responding to them are lonely and they're isolated. And so they target those type of people, unfortunately. And, of course, it's, it's usually too late um, to... to when anyone gets involved or when we get wind of it, for example, the money is probably gone um, and there's a lot of embarrassment and shame about it. So the advice that we would normally give is anyone who contact, contacts you out of the blue, um, who may not ask for money in the first instance, but if they end up asking you for money or for personal details for any reason whatsoever, they should not be engaged with. So they might ask you for money straight out of the gate. Um, or if they might build a, a trusting relationship and then they say something along the lines of, oh, I've got bad debts or something along those lines. You've got that relationship. You've got that you know, possible thinking that they're in a loving relationship and they're going to be together um, and the trust has been built up and therefore the money is then paid. So anyone who asks you for money for whatever reason, um, so regardless of what they may say, uh, what needs to be realised is that it's purely sweet talk at the end of the day, um, where the sole purpose is, is to get as much money as possible from the intended victim and then to commit further fraud using, as I said earlier, uh, using the identity of that victim. So um, you could also be, I mean, moving on from romance scams, there's a lot of people are on social media all the time. People seem to have their noses glued to their phones and it's the way it is at the moment. So what we ask people to be wary of is what appear to be harmless games or quizzes on social media where you're asked about your first home, your first car, your favourite colour, your favourite band and that type of thing. Um, this is how personal information is harvested and then analysed to try and obtain passwords. So they've got clever people at the other end. They're not stupid. This is what they're doing. Um, so if you know of someone who's being scammed, 
um, talk to them, get as much information as possible. They may not want to open up immediately um, and report it to the police via action fraud or to trading standards via CAB, um, citizens advice, of course. Um, so, yeah, a lot of stuff that's out there that may seem to be harmless in the first instance. It's basically, it's basically we stop and think. That's what we ask people to do. Don't just dive in. And I think that's a, a really important message. And I'm sure, again, a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to that example of the quizzes on social media. Um, mm. I know myself, I've seen family and friends engaging in those and I've messaged them privately and, and explained that <laughs> that's not the best thing no. for them to do and, and what the intentions behind those types of things could well be. Um, so I think that's some, some great advice, Steve. Um, you made reference to some organisations there as well. So we'll put all of the contact telephone numbers and links on our website um, in relation to scams and all the other topics we talk about on today's episode. And our website is srs.wales. Now let's go into our regulatory roundup section. This episode, I'm gonna do something a little different. There are so many myths around scams and fraud, so I'm going to put some of the most common myths to Steve and ask him to tell us if they're true or false. You ready to myth bust, Steve? Certainly am. If you can briefly pause after I've read each sentence before answering, that'll allow our listeners to play along too, if they want to. Okay. See if you can get them right. So, the first one. When someone calls or sends me a text, the caller ID or number of the person will always be genuine. I'd say that's false, um, because a number can be masked. Mm Hmm. Absolutely. Okay, let's try the second one. It's okay to let people put money into my bank account, even if I don't know them or fully understand what that money is for. Uh, That's false because of money laundering offences. Okay, he's doing pretty good so far. Let's try number three. If a company has a registered website, the company must be legitimate. False again. Um, anyone can uh, register a website. There's no offence to if you're not legitimate, unfortunately. Okay, next one. I'm too smart to be scammed, and the typical victim of a scam is elderly. That's false. A common misconception. Anyone can be scammed. Um, there's a scam for virtually everyone, in our opinion. And last one, let's see if you can get a full house, Steve. Scammers always try to steal money. True, and, and maybe a little bit of false as well. They do, the end game is always to steal money, but they could just be stealing your ID and information as well. So a bit of true and false to that one, I think. Had to throw in a trick question for you there to challenge you at the end, Steve. So hopefully our listeners did very well with those as well. So moving on, as well as the scams that we've talked about, during the last couple of years, there have been a reported increase in the amount of work being carried out on people's homes. How does having work done on your home fit into safeguarding concerns? Well, unfortunately, um, there's such a thing as a rogue trader. Um, And these are tradespeople who will defraud people 
convince them that either they need to have work done when they don't, or convince them that they're perfectly capable of doing the work that they need to have done, and the work is of a poor standard. Um, either way, their intention is to get as much money as possible, and unfortunately, um, there are incidents where a rogue trader has tagged onto a vulnerable person and basically taken as much money as possible, wrecked their home effectively, and therefore this a double hit. So they've lost the money that they paid. The trader has then basically either disappeared or tried to disappear. Um, and they then can't get the money back from that trader. And they then have to have the cost, they have to bear the cost, of course, of having the work corrected or completed, probably corrected, actually. So, yeah, uh, that is, in a nutshell, what the concerns are about uh, rogue traders and the problems that, that that can befall them of having work done on their home. So to help people avoid the issues that you've just mentioned, do you have any top tips for us when choosing a reputable trader? This is a very tricky question because we used to have the answers, of course, very convincingly. Um, I mean, in a nutshell, there are websites out there, which I'm not going to name, of course, which where they have um, approved tradespeople and so on. But it's very difficult to determine what their vetting processes are. So unfortunately, we've seen rogue traders who we know and who have been convicted appearing on these uh, websites, these trader-approved websites. Um, and unfortunately, people are then engaging their services and, of course, are finding out that um, they're uh, not all well, not what they seem and what they say they are. So, um, in a nutshell, what we usually advise is if you're going to engage a trader, one get a quote in writing. Don't uh, accept that quote straight away. You can get as many quotes as you want. The other thing is as well, make sure that the trader has an address and full contact details, valid telephone numbers, and so on. Do your research. After that, you can go on the internet and have a little look, see, well, are they at that address to start off with? Um, if they're not at that address, then that's a red flag. The other thing is as well, if you do engage them, then really the only thing that they should be accepting as payment up front is possibly a small deposit to secure the contract, which is fine. Um, if they ask for substantial sums up front, for example, for materials, then that's a little bit of a red flag. Or, you know, I have to point out that it's not illegal to do that but it's still a little bit of a concern. The reason being is, of course, if they have your money up front, they've got something over you already. And so, of course, what we usually advise people is, look, if they ask for money up front for materials, then it's, they should really um, have an account with the builder's merchant. And those accounts are settled after the job is finished. So you shouldn't have any financial uh, payments or any, any payments to be made up front and um, if you're having work done as I said just a small deposit any payment that you haven't asked to be paid up front be very very careful and I would advise not to pay any money up front certainly not sub substantial sums and certainly not before any work has actually been done and if somebody finds themselves in this position who can they contact if they think they have been or might have been a victim of fraud or a rogue trader well, there's, there's two, th two, uh, two things that they can do. They can contact the police 
um, because we work, we do work in hand hand in hand with the police because obviously there may be concerns about their own well-being if they've been intimidated or there's aggressive behaviour on part of the trader which does happen unfortunately or that money's being demanded of them um, they can contact the police and the police will attend um, and the police obviously do contact us as well so we have good links there as well um, they can contact of course trading standards they can contact via CAB or they can contact us via the, the SRS website so there are ways and means of contacting us um, and we will attend we look at every rogue trader complaint um, and we look to deal with it accordingly and what about, you mentioned about the psychological impact of these victims, and we know, don't we, that some of them, if they have fallen foul of these criminals, sometimes they don't want to share that information with friends or their family. So are there any reassurances that you can give to those people if they're worried about contacting us and reporting such crimes? Absolutely. They don't have to speak to their family. They don't have to speak to their friends. If they are concerned about... There is an embarrassment factor, of course, and what I need to point out, it's not their fault. At the end of the day, these people are professional criminals, they're professional fraudsters. They know what they're doing. So if you do or have been a victim, it's not your fault at all. Everything that we deal with, um, every call that we receive is complete and utter confidentiality. So if, for example, um, the person who's fallen victim to a rogue trader didn't want to take the matter further, which does happen, unfortunately, and we can understand that, then, of course, it's completely confidential. We don't share the details. We don't even tell the trader that, you know, someone has contacted us. So it's completely confidential. you know, up to them at the end of the day. We would only take the matter further. We can only take the matter further if they want us to take the matter further. So they can contact us in complete and utter confidentiality. Thanks, Steve. And hopefully that will really reassure people if they are suffering from something like this and they were unsure whether to contact us, please do give us a call. And we'll again put all of that information on our website, which is srs.wales. So we've just heard from this episode's regulator, Steve, about the horrible psychological implications of these awful crimes, as well as the financial losses involved, some of which can involve life-changing sums of money being lost to these criminals. So if you can help us and all the other agencies that we work closely with to identify, educate and raise awareness of these issues amongst your friends and family, you could be making a huge difference to someone's life, even by just challenging one of the myths that we've talked about today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, SRS underscore Wales, and for more sources of information about National Safeguarding Week, please visit our website. Our final episode for 2021 will be focusing on Christmas, and I'll be finding out top tips from one of our environmental health officers about cooking Christmas dinner safely at home and choosing the best places to eat out over the festive period. Thank you for joining us on Ask the Regulator. Ask the Regulator is brought to you by Shared Regulatory Services and produced by Bro Radio.